gentlemen welcome back to stories out of time and space i'm one of your regular hosts scott weatherly and as usual i'm joined by julian darius julian how are you doing i'm doing great and i'm ready to wrap up the first episode uh, the first season it's like uh, we're having a wrap party scott it is yes this is it we're gonna go back and have a look at all the films we've looked at for season one and actually something that that we saw the group i think was well julian it was your idea really is is the one thing we didn't really do was give them a rating, was it? No, and and so, I like the idea. I I think I think actually I credit you with the idea. Um, but I I love the idea, and I and I kind of like the idea of leaving it to the wrap episode, uh, and then sort of hashing out all those readings. Mm. So this is it. That's what we're going to do. We're going to go back. Have a think about anything that sort of stuck out for us in those 10 films. And then we're going to give each of them a rating and sort of talk through where they all sit uh, in our our 1 to 10 uh, for this series. Uh, So before we start, though, I think, is it worth giving a quick rundown of the films that we had in the season? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, We started with Forbidden Planet, uh, 1956. Mm -hmm. Uh, then you you took me on a Russian journey with Solaris from 1952. Uh, 1971. 1971. I want to ask you about that, actually, because, yes, you say 1971. I think I've got, like, an American release date, but yes. So we had Solaris, then... Uh, uh, Then we went to Star Wars, uh, 1977. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Quite a contentious, fun conversation about that. (laughs) We did. Then we, we talked about um, employers, employees' rights in Blade Runner uh, from 1982. And uh, then we went into body horror and, uh, mm. you know, David Cronenberg's strangeness with The Fly in 1987. Uh, yeah, and we sort of we jumped in from uh, all these live-action films to our first animated movie. So we went to Japanimation, uh, manga, and we went to Akira from 1988. Then there's a big gap. And the next yeah. film is actually nine years later, and that's yeah. Starship Troopers, uh, Paul Verhoeven's uh, bizarre satire on a sort of fascist future that seems all too familiar to me now, um, yeah. and uh, a favorite of both of ours. Indeed. Yeah, that was a great conversation. Uh, and then again, look, another another quite nice gap, really, because we jumped forward to 2004 and the time travel indie film Primer, which uh, was a complex conversation. If ever there was one, <laughs> yeah, that was fascinating. Um, that was that was one of those where I, I forced you to 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 watch it, and and and, and in the end, you were you less thrilled with it than I am. Um, but mm. that was interesting. Yeah, definitely, yeah, it's, it's a definitely an interesting film, and it's, regardless of what my rating is, it's still a recommend for people to to try out. Well, then we went to uh, 2010 with Chris Nolan's Inception, uh, sort of classic for me mm. 
And and then we rounded it out again with a slightly sort of uh, a contentious conversation around 2012 <laughs> Looper and uh, a, a very different take on time travel from what Primer presented. Uh, but that was it. That's our 10. So th- they're the films that we're going to go back and sort of talk about. Uh, but before we sort of get into the ratings and everything, the first thing is really sort of looking at those 10 is there anything in that really that stands out or any thoughts that sort of came through sort of reviewing these 10 films? Um, yeah, I, I've thought about this and it's sort of what, what stood out for me. Um, obviously our discussions of Solaris and Star Wars and uh, Looper and Primer, the, the ones where we disagreed are mm. sort of the more interesting ones uh, in, in some way for me because I get to experience another perspective. Uh, and I respect you. And I, you know, I always get what you're saying, even though it's not my approach, but it's, it's like, I can see your, your, in my subjectivity, I can see your subjectivity. You know, I can imagine another mind space engaging with this same sort of geometric construct that I know and looking at it from a different side and seeing different facets uh, in a different way. And I can totally project myself um, into that mind space. And that is amazing to me. And it lets me see that construct, uh, from a different way. Yeah, I, th- I, I, I agree with what you're saying. Cause I think one of the things is one of the, you know, as you sort of, uh, said before, I think this would be a really boring sort of podcast. If we both came to it and we just sort of like, yeah, we both love it out to the next episode. Um, and so the fact that we do come at these from different angles and sort of, different levels of enjoyment i think has really made these conversations so fascinating for me that I've, yeah i've just i've just really enjoyed sort of picking these up in particular i would say um you know i, I call out solaris and i think you know i've, I've sort of poked and prodded a gentle sort of fun <laughs> at this film you're but it's prodding one of a russian films. bear <laughs> <laughs> yeah indeed but it's one of those that sort of i think if you know i saw i watched it off uh, off, off amazon prime and you know, I I know it because I knew about the the remake, the George Clooney remake. So it's one of those that I think I've I've got I've come across before and gone, hmm, I'm not sure I can give that the time at the moment, and moved on. And it's still, you know, and then I when you sort of said, oh yeah, we're going to do it, I was like, okay, this sounds this does sound like a challenge. It sounds interesting. So, and it was the same with Primer that you know. I knew of its existence. It had been on my watch list. And so for you to say, I know this is, this is something, you know, we, we, we should watch and it's sort of really worth the conversation. And it is, um, but it's a challenging film to watch. And I think that's sort of, for me, like we, you know, we could, you know, we could have just sort of uh, rested on our laurels a little bit and did all the sort of easy targets maybe. Um, But the one thing I enjoyed about this was that we didn't, that we have actually thrown in some sort of, some interesting concepts and some interesting perspectives for these films. Yeah, and I, I know what you're talking about, about sort of carving out the space to watch something. Mm. Um, I so often, you know, you're tired at the end of the day and you and you go to your DVR. And yeah. the first stuff I watch is always the stupid TV show that I don't really care about. Uh, yeah. You know, ironically, you know, if it's a show that I that I really like, I think, well, you know, I'm too tired. I want to give that my full attention. I hope that it's going to be a good episode and it's going to take me on a journey. So even if it's a TV show that I'm expecting that from, I often put it off. But a movie, let alone a sort of two and a half hour 
you know, three hour movie really requires a kind of commitment. And, mm. and I can understand why, you know, a lot of times it's, it's easier to, to go for something that, um, you know, is, is, is funner or that, that doesn't require that kind of attention. And I often find myself doing that. But then sometimes I look back and I think, you know, why have I had that supposed masterpiece? Like it's, it's way in the bottom of my DVR. <laughs> I know that that would be like, it's like, that's good nutrition, right? That's the salad. And I'm just eating these crappy sandwiches every day. And I'm, I'm disgusting. I hate what I'm doing. I should watch that. And I think, ah, no, I'll have some chips. Yeah, yeah. I, t- I I know exactly what you mean because there there are a series of films that you know uh, Oscar winning films, sort of like hard hitting, sort of like thrillers and dramas and science fiction films. That I go, I really need to watch those. And you go, oh, there's a new episode of uh, you know the Housewives of Beverly Hills, and you're like, I watched that instead. <laughs> Not that I actually watched that. I'm thinking I was trying to think right. of something else, but yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Something easy to digest. So. I like that, that not only has this challenged me to watch those films, but it's actually challenged me to think about them in a different way. Um, and I think sort of especially, I mean, I'll admit it, I think our, our, our Star Wars conversation has, has changed the way I, I approach Star Wars. Um, you know, and not just the first film, the entire trilogy, really. Um in the sense of like, I still watch it and enjoy it. I can still watch it and I can still switch my brain off and enjoy it as a sort of a, a pulpy fantasy sort of, you know, sci-fi adventure. But I understand that really it's it's not actually that good, <laughs> <laughs> and and it has like glaring, you know, gaping plot holes and, and everything else, and you know, and that's actually it, it's worth acknowledging those things as well. And if you can't acknowledge that and admit that you still love it and sort of go, yeah, it's not great, but you know, here's why I enjoy it. Then I think you're sort of missing out on on some of those conversations that are are worth having. Absolutely, and and I think that we one of the things that I, I mean, I, I admire you that you've gone through that process. I mean, I have had to go through that process so many <laughs> times where I, I realize, like, yeah, you know, you love this and you you really want to hold on tight to this, Julian, but kind of not that great. Um, <laughs> Or, or I slowly realize, like, yeah, you know, I still absolutely am in love with this movie or in love with this comic, but yeah, you know, uh, I don't know that I could just kind of uh, recommend it wholeheartedly to somebody. Or, um, you know, it, no. it's important to bracket stuff and see it for what it is. Yeah, uh, yeah, totally. Um, and so it's been good to have these conversations. Um, and I think, you know, one... It, there's weird sort of like themes as well that seem to have jumped out for me that 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 uh, doing this ten and the, the, this ten is a combination of you and I like we mm-hmm. we both sort of contributed to this and so so watching this I was quite interested to sort of see you know the films that we chose and, and that sort of thing but there are certain things that sort of come out again and again and and sort of um, I feel that sort of weirdly of all the sort of things we've had it's like starship troopers is the one that sort of seems to stand out to me um a lot um mainly because i think i hadn't been back to it for for a, a short time and um you know I, I i'd been back to robocop relatively recently and to see how good this satire was and how fun that film is um you know it, it really does sort of surprise me how much that stands up 
But also, I started to realize like, how much the military seems to pop up in um, sci-fi films. Hmm. You know, they sort of they, whether it's sort of at the forefront or in the background. You know, so the forefront is is obviously like Starship Troopers and to an extent like Forbidden Planet. Um, but with all with all of this, like you know, Solaris has got an element of um, military sort of uh, bureaucracy in it. Uh, Blade Runner, sort of like you know, uh, Roy uh, Batty. You know, explains that he's sort of like a, a soldier replicant. Um, Akira has got combat with the military in. You know, it, mm-hmm. it just it seems to come up again and again. So it seems it's sort of like even at random, like sci-fi sort of has this need for sort of almost like um a, a military element to it. I, I, I don't know why that is. Yeah, I, I, all I can think is that when you're imagining a sort of like future scenario. If there is conflict or there is a threat, I think it's sort of logical to say, well, what are the authorities doing about this? And the bigger the Mm. threat, the more you have to assume that there's some sort of uh, military or coordinated presence. Um, And, you know, also it's just, I mean, Star Wars has a military element, right? Mm. I mean, they're fighting, they're, you know, fighting a a guerrilla war uh, against uh, an empire and its massive military might. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think that that definitely is a theme. You know, I've always thought of it as sort of a side effect of the subject matter or the story in particular. But it, you know, it, it certainly makes for great spectacle to have mm. you know milit- uh, space marines fighting bugs. Yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, it's just it's just interesting to sort of see how they're portrayed, especially if you sort of take, uh, um, I mean, you know, they they are sort of forty years apart, pretty much. But you've got Forbidden Planet and uh, Starship Troopers, and uh, you know they they they're two sort of military forces going off to outer space, and uh, I, I enjoy how differently they are portrayed. I mean, you know, it's sort of uh, Forbidden Planet is more like a navy sort of like you know they've all sort of got their bunks on the ship and. It's a very sort of naval sort of setup uh, through to Starship Troopers, which obviously covers the entire gamut of the the military sort of arms. <clears throat> but um, I like the fact that there's it's a lot more gentle um, and almost Starfleet like in Forbidden Planet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that it comes from that sort of fifties place of sort of assuming like, yeah, there are some idiots in in the military, right? I mean, all <laughs> of those those films from the fifties, you know, there's always the bumbling private, you know, in, in the military, but there, but at the same time, there's not, it's as if there's no real question that the overall apparatus or the overall organization is good. Um, it's Mm. not inherently corrupt. It's not inherently, you know, colonization to go out to these planets. That's just not going to be questioned. Right. It's a good organization. It might have some bad eggs, but there's never any question that it's a positive force, or, or at the at the at the worst has no positive or negative charge. That it's just neutral and it is what it is. Um, mm. But Starship Troopers comes from a place that I think is a lot more informed. Um, obviously, it's informed by Vietnam, but you know when you're talking about the '90s, it it holds up. And, and one of the reasons why it holds up is because 
it does seem a much more realistic portrayal of not just the military, but also what we would do. You know, I mean, humans are not yeah. the most yeah. benevolent Starfleet-like <laughs> civilization. Like, that's fine, alien civilizations, but not touch them. No, you know, for that might yeah. be the one government's official policy, but you know the corporations are going to be out there paying people to, to slaughter bugs to get some juice out of them or something. Actually, that's a good point. I think that's one thing that sort of probably is missing um, from... Uh, Starship Troopers, which may not have been a part of sort of thing in the nineties, but would definitely be something now. Would be how could they sort of commercialize it? How could they turn it into some sort of money making scheme? Because I'm pretty sure there would be, and there would be that thing, wouldn't there? Sort of like, oh yeah, we found that like we can, we actually, if you take bugs, uh, endoskeletons, or they can sort of, we can turn them into these, and we're going to use it as sort of like a fashion <laughs> design or something. Yeah, yeah, that's always sort of, uh, that... Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a Starship Troopers was. You know, one of the things that shocked me, you know, about that conversation was you're telling me about how a lot of people just read it straight. Um, That was what stood out for me most about that conversation. And of course, that's horrifying. But but I think that sometimes, like, you know, I am very sort of in my bubble. And I don't know that it's a sort of ivory tower bubble or it's a artsy fartsy bubble but, you know, I mean, I am definitely in a kind of bubble and some of that is to survive because every time that I see, um, you know, uh, Ghost Adventures, uh, a horrible reality show where they <laughs> go to houses and say, you know, there's a ghost here, you know, and, and scare each other. That's had like 12 seasons, right? And I think yeah. that's had 12 seasons and we can't get like, you know, three of some brilliant show that got canceled too soon that nobody watched. And I think mm. I want to kill myself just thinking about yeah. that. I don't want to live in that world. So I think I shield myself from not exactly reality, but kind of mainstream views sometimes to mm. keep myself alive. <laughs> so, yeah. so several of these films, uh, you know, but I've learned about that, and and certainly Starship Troopers was one of them. No, I, I, yeah, and that's the thing, isn't it? So let's say that you can read these films different ways. That, that that's fine, but there's there's definitely a concern. I think that some people do read these, um, you know, like you say, just straight uh, without looking at sort of the questions, everything that does go behind them. I think you know, as we sort of said, I think that was one of the reasons I liked our conversation on Inception so much because about this this thing about you know the the human tragedy at the heart of that film um that you know people don't seem to when you look at the reviews of that film and sort of people discussing it it's all about sort of like you know the the cinematography and the concept and the the you know, the spectacle and some of the acting mm-hmm. but there's never any real mention of like this this it's a really sort of it's a human tragedy that film like it's a real sort of you know, like you, like you said, when you really get into it, it's quite a sort of a, a, like a proper tragedy, and that barely gets mentioned. And I just find that like bizarre. Yeah, and that's a, that's an excellent point, and I think that's that's very true for me about Inception. Both the 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 love story at the heart of it, which you know, I, I always hate the love plot, right? I mean, the love plot, yeah. like the B plot that they put in, and I think, yeah, you know, you didn't need this. Um, and Inception, it's 
feels like it should be that B plot, right? I mean, it's a, it's a mechanic yeah. uh, that lets you, that drives the plot, but damn if it works and damn if it doesn't feel like the heart of the film. And even the stuff with, um, with the person they're incepting dealing with his father, you know, mm. I mean, there's stuff where that's just plot, but, but there's stuff that really resonates with me. And I think that, that conversation, I mean, like, it's interesting to me that I go there with Inception and I have no problem going there with Inception. But one of the most interesting conversations to me was, was about Looper and mm-hmm. that I could never once went there with Looper. <laughs> like, I, I can't understand those as characters in no sense. And you approached it so much from a character perspective that it really opened my eyes and made me think, well, why do I not do that? Why why does my heart not open to those characters? And it does to Inception, which most people don't even think of those as characters. I'll be fair. It might be down to the quality, the actual quality of the film. That might be something to do with it. Um, Cause you're right. Cause you know, I, I will acknowledge when it comes to our ratings, we'll see, but um, Inception as a, as a piece of art, as a, as a piece of cinema, uh, I think is, you know, isn't isn't perfect. It has um, some excellent moments in it, and I'll acknowledge. I think as a as an overall piece, it's a better film than Looper. Um, and you know, like you said the mechanics and that we sort of, as we said the mechanics and the sort of sci fi elements of, of Looper are a little daft, to be honest, <laughs> and then some. Um, but uh, yeah, for some reason, there's just something about that film that I, I work beyond, and I just sort of I, I get quite a lot of investment from that film. It's because it's a uh, some I can explain, some I probably couldn't. Um, but yeah, it, it is interesting that sort of you know sometimes they just that thing can just hook you and it, you know you're into it sort of thing. Yeah, and I, I think that you know going back to like the point about Star Wars, that I always feel um, you know I, I, I you know that I like Transformers toys. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a sort of hobby of mine, and. I look at reviews of the these toys and and watch these reviews on YouTube and whatnot. Um, there's a lot of contentious fighting about all of this, <laughs> right? Everybody's like, "How can you possibly prefer this to that? You're an idiot." Uh, people fight, and of course, it's ridiculous, right? You're fighting about toys, right? Uh, this is dumb, but the best reviewers always say, "Like, look." This is my this is my opinion. Some of this is objective, right? Like this is just poorly made right here. Some of it yeah. is just aesthetics. It's subjective. But I mean, I'm right about those things that are objective. Those are really there. There might be things I'm missing and I'll admit when I'm missing them. But at the end of the day, even if you disagree with that or you just don't care, those aren't objective problems that matter to you. If you like it, you win. So, I mean, mm. if you like the movie or you like that toy, you get a toy that you like. That's awesome. If you like the movie yeah. and it works for you, how awesome is it? You get a sci-fi <laughs> movie that's, that excites you and, and moves you. That's so amazing to me. And we don't have to uh, agree on everything. And if you and to me, it's such a trump card to just say, like, you know, it, it works for me. I like it. I feel joy for watching Looper. I care about those characters. It takes me someplace emotionally. It's like, what? Well, yeah, How, who can argue with that? I mean, I can point yeah. out an objective flaw with that little hinge on that toy over there. But if that, you know, if a child's face lights up to see that toy, 
does it, you know, I, you know, we can step back and say, yeah, you know, that stitching's not so great. But look at that kid's face. Yeah. That's awesome. And, and I think that's one of the things that sort of, I'm going to say, especially when we get into sort of season two, because we've got some, uh, a couple of films in season two that I think, you know, you you and I are sort of um, acknowledge probably aren't, you know, uh, fantastic films or, well, you know, those are, but I think we, we both have put films in there that we absolutely love for different reasons. And I think that's going to be a big part of the conversation. It's going to be this thing of like, no, th- th- this is why I love it. Cause I think this bit's amazing. <laughs> I think it, acknowledging that is so important. And it's sort of, I think it's one of the things that's missing from fandom in general, you know, um, I'm trying to think, I saw something recently talking about, um, well, even just admit it, like the, the latest Star Wars films of the Rise of Skywalker, like to me, it didn't work. Like, I, you know, it was fine, it was meh, but I didn't get that sort of like, you know, that the, there's people that sort of oh, it hit me, you know, with that wave of nostalgia when it did this and did that, and I like, well, didn't didn't work for me. I'm not bothered by it, but do you know what? I'm so glad that there are people that are satisfied by it, but then. You know, it's it's that thing. Of, but then I understand there's frustration because it's obviously got such a lot hanging on it of people that are disappointed. But then I'm sort of like, I don't get why people get so angry at the people that do enjoy it. It's sort of like, oh. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's like a jealousy thing, almost like, well, how dare you get joy out of this, and I can't. And I'm more like, no, fair play, well done that you've got that. I, it didn't work for me, um, but I'm so glad that you enjoy it. You know what I mean? It's it's sort of. <laughs> It's an odd one. I think people are just bizarre in that way that they sort of this 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 resentment at other people enjoying some something you know that's at the end of the day it's a film and it's sort of if it means something to them wonderful. Absolutely, but it's interesting that you phrase it that way about you know the problem being people who don't like it, you know, hating people who who like it because most of what I see is you know from my subjective experience is the reverse is mm. people who like it, you know, just attacking anyone who has any kind of criticism. Um, so what I find is, you know, especially with Star Wars. I mean, Star Wars mm. is not the most toxic fandom of any franchise, but it certainly has its toxic elements. And, you know, um, I, I mean, there, I don't think, you know, I never reviewed... Um, uh, you know, for Sequart, the uh, the sequel films. I never did. Mm. I think I did. Um, I did Rogue One because I loved it, and I wanted to talk mm. about you know what I really loved. But both The Force Awakens, which I liked much better than The Last Jedi, but both of them are movies that I can demolish with a single sentence. I mean, yeah. <laughs> they're, they're they have advantages, but. You can, I mean, if you can demolish a movie with a single sentence, it's not good. It's got problems. But I didn't dare. Honestly, I did not write those reviews because mm-hmm. I knew I would face such intense backlash. And the, the anger and hostility directed at anybody who just tweeted, like, I, I you know, I, I didn't like this, was, was so violent. So I sort of see it from the other perspective. And, and, I, and I know both sides are true and that this happens. I just don't understand why any, you know, why anyone gets that mad about it. Yeah. I, yeah. 
it's bizarre. It, 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 it's it's an interesting. I mean, it's people. You know, they are so invested in these things. And again, you know, it's it's good that they are. Um, and it's 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 funny that when people say, oh, you know, Ryan Johnson or JJ Abrams, they've ruined my childhood. Like, <laughs> well, no, they, they they really didn't because it's it's not like they've come around and like smashed up your toys or taken away the original trilogy or just come around and sl- like, slapped your mum. It's like they haven't done anything. You know, it's a film at the end of the day. Um, right. But I mean, oh, I mean, I one of the, the just 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 to to rib on Star Wars like a final. We'll, we'll round out the Star Wars thing in a moment. But there was recently a tweet, and this goes back to I obviously I did a bit of a, a whole Star Wars retrospective with a couple of other podcasts for Twentieth Century Geek, um, and we we sort of went through all the films. And then there was a, a tweet recently of um, for the last sort of film. Um, these star destroyers were created by these people that were that like cultists of uh, the Sith. Did you know that? Or, sorry, or you never knew this? You know, one of these sort of clickbaity articles. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "You're right. I never knew that because it's never mentioned in the film." <laughs> so, so how am I supposed to know that? And there's a the thing about it could be mentioned in this comic, and I was like. That is the biggest problem with a lot of these. Well, not a lot of these franchises, particularly Star Wars. There was a, um, one of the contributors to the to the the retrospective, a guy called Mike from a podcast called Genuine Chit Chat, and he's a big Star Wars fan. Like you know, he's read all the sort of he's, well, not all, but he's read a lot of the comics, a lot of the legend stuff. And every time we came to a plot hole, like a massive gaping plot hole, he'd be like, "Oh well, actually, in this book." in this thing here they actually address that and they give you this backstory and i'm like i don't care i shouldn't have to go and read something else or go play this game or go watch this other thing like it shouldn't that should not be how this medium works um that i've got to go fill in these gaps um and so one of the things that sort of you know infuriated me and actually sort of having done the reviews put me off the Star Wars franchise more and more was like, yeah, it just feels like almost like a, a you know enforced engagement with the with the franchise. You're like, well, we have shown you the films, but if you really want to know the story, come and check out the Marvel comics. If you really <laughs> want, to, if you really want to know the history, come and play the games. I was just like, no, 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 I'm I'm fine. Thank you very much. Um, and I, I think that's a bit of a shame, really. I, I think it's also just. It's also just bad criticism, frankly, um, because when you'd go to judge, I mean, obviously this gets into like literary theory and, you know, new criticism versus, you know, other stuff. But but when you when you judge a movie, you want to judge that movie right now. Mm-hmm. We can have a discussion about whether um, it matters what we know about those actors or those directors. Um, I have had so many discussions about that. Like, can you still enjoy a Woody Allen movie? Um, Mm -hmm. You know, can you watch Kevin Spacey without thinking about what he's done or Bill Cosby Mm -hmm. or whatever, or Michael Jackson? Um, You know, so there are things outside of the movie uh, that get brought brought into the work of art. Um, That's also true of, you know, obviously, if it's a sequel, it kind of presumes that you've seen the previous one. It is true that that sequels then kind of retrospectively color the earlier episodes. But to but to point to something that is outside of that work, like, well, there's a book over here, there's a comic over here. 
of questionable canonical status anyway, you know, that explains this plot hole. Well, that doesn't mean it's not a plot hole, right? It just means somebody over here offered an explanation. Well, good on you, right? But that does not affect the movie at all. It doesn't mean that's not a problem with the movie. And then there's, there's another version of the same thing. Um, my, my friend, Mike Phillips, who I, I write with, and you know, he's one of my best friends. He loves, uh, Richard Kelly, the director. And so, you know, mm. he loves Donnie Darko, Southland Tales, The Box. I don't like any of these movies. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, and, and some of them are just objectively bad um, or, or objectively have problems with it. But he, you know, he loves to, when he's finished with a movie, go read what people say about it or what the explanation is. And so he kind of will say, hey, I don't understand that. I mean, he loves David Lynch stuff, right? So he'll say, mm-hmm. I don't understand that. Well, let's see what that was about. And then he finds a critic who says, or the director who says, well, what I was intending was to mirror this and to mirror that and uh, comment on this. And, you know, and if you think about it, here's what it's all analogous to. Yeah, well, that's not in the movie, man. <laughs> you know, yes. like that's cool, but that doesn't make it a better movie. No, and I agree. That's the thing. It's sort of, you know, I think sometimes the message they're trying to give or sort of something they're trying to uh, convey, if it, 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 they might think they're doing that, but yeah, it, it, it doesn't land. Um, and yeah, it, I think sometimes I say some people claim things are art when they're not art and that sort of thing as well. I mean, you know, they can say anything's art, I suppose, but there's yeah. this thing of, you know, retrospectively sometimes I think, you know, certain directors and stuff try to give things a meaning and a message and go, no, that's what I meant. I meant it to be this. And it's a it's a statement on the, you know, the uh, human, what, what it is to be human. And so stuff. No, it's not, it's not really. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, 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 it's a fun film, but it's not that, you know. So, yeah, I, I, I do find that with sort of... Uh, uh, in fact, I say because criticism. In fact, some of those days, because criticism is now so instant um, because of social media and sort of the internet and stuff. I do find that sort of you get this more and more. Uh, you know, as you said, that Mike goes out to find these sort of uh, these answers or these sort of these these statements or theories that those things appear quicker than ever. Uh, the film is released, and all of a sudden, you've got all these sort of things online, whether it be a clickbait article or the writer or director saying, well, this is our intention. This is what we meant. And you're sort of like, well, yeah, but that's fine. But also, I also think that the moment you put a piece of art out there, especially a film, it no longer really means what you want it to mean. It's, it's a, it can be, you right. know, whatever the person that's viewing it takes it from. And that can be as, that can change depending on the mood you're in when you watch it. If you've had a really bad day, Compared to having a fantastic day, you may read a move completely you know, a movie completely differently. So, I do think it's it's good to sort of you know if they if they really do mean that. But I also do think some of it is complete waffle, um, you know, which is uh, which is interesting in itself. Right, and I, and I think that I mean you can prove, you know, getting back to literary theory. I mean you can prove that the author's intent is irrelevant. So, mm-hmm. I mean if it is perfectly possible for the author to have um, one intent and for the end result to actually display unconscious biases or um, have something that is objectively there that wasn't intended. Maybe a collaborator put it in or, or 
it just is there in the plot. And they were not focused on that. Um, I mean, you know, The Jungle by Upton Sinclair, right, was um, supposed to be about uh, you need to stop eating this wretched meat, you know. Um, right. You know, uh, it was, well, it was actually about the, the workers, rather. Um, mm. So the, it was about workers' rights, and these workers are treated terribly. But, but all of America read it and said, wait a minute. Uh, this meat is like being urinated on and thrown on the floor, you know, let's, yeah. let's get some meat laws. Let's get some food laws, which we didn't have any at the time. Um, and, you know, some Republicans want to go back to that. But, um, you know, it had a totally different effect than what was intended. That doesn't mean that it's not that it doesn't horrify you for its depiction of uh, of this food processing. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, somebody's intent or, or somebody's thoughts about it. Um, you know, you can write an article about how, uh, I, I mean, I'm thinking about the fly and how the fly objectively does deal with, uh, issues of the body and, you know, getting older masculinity. I mean, there are those things that are there. I mean, somebody could write an article about how it reflects, uh, Nietzsche's U- Ubermensch, that doesn't make it a better film, man. <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. No, it's, it's interesting. I say, I think, I do think, you know, I think what we're, what we're eventually going to get around to is as we give these our ratings out of 10 is, um, that, you know, there's an element of subjectiveness going to be in these. And I think that's the truth of all films, but that's why I love these conversations is that a lot of these I've come to and sort of watched it and gone. Yeah. You know, that's sort of how I've read it. And I think, um, um, you know the changing I've had around Star Wars has been has been a really interesting one, um, but then going back and watching some of these films of these discussions has actually made me appreciate them more. So if I just went back and watched it as a film, um, you know I'd probably give it a lower score than than I would now than having gone back and watched it and sort of just discussed it. So, but that doesn't mean it's like you said that doesn't mean it's any better of a film. The film itself hasn't changed, right? just my sort of maybe understanding or appreciation or interpretation of it has changed. So it's, it's the film is the film. Like, you know, there's, there's no, um, they haven't changed a second of that apart from Blade Runner, which changed seven times, but, <laughs> but um, but like you say, the, the fact is like, I may have understood something more in it or I've just considered something you know differently in it, which makes me actually think, actually, do you know what? I didn't understand that before. And I do now, or I, I didn't think of it in that way before. And I do now, and to me, that's, um, you know, that actually resonates with me more. So, yeah, I, I, I agree. I think criticism is going to be interesting, um, especially well, when we I, get into our ratings. Yeah, I, we should do that in a, in a minute. I, I also think that, you know, I like what you're saying. Um, we change. If we stop changing, we're dead, right? I don't ever want to be yes. that old guy who's just like, yeah, I'm done. Uh, you know, I don't yeah. want to process new facts. Um, but... <laughs> I also think that the, the culture changes and the moment changes. Um, Starship Troopers has aged well, and mm. it's aged well precisely because of current events. It re- has remained tr- uh, topical. If in 1998, one year after Starship Troopers, uh, both of our countries decided to uh, merge into one uh, massive utopia, Starship yeah. Troopers would seem dated in a way that it doesn't. Um, <laughs> And it's not that elements of it don't seem dated. I think especially in these conversations, uh, 
you know, racial issues come out, but especially gender issues. It is amazing how many of these films have scenes that kind of make me, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, hold my head and, you know, sort of, um, you know, crimp my eyes yeah. and, and wince in pain at, you know, just a like, oh, you know, why does she say this line that's so sexist, that's just so traditional? Yeah. Well, it's it's weird. I mean, we come back to Starship Troopers quite a bit, and it's you know it is it is a uh, you know a, a, I will acknowledge it's a daft sci-fi sort of like you know militaristic adventure and all sort of stuff. But again, like you said, we you, you can take so much from it, it's so re- relevant. But also, it's sort of like its sexual politics are quite clear as well. That like you know we go back to we mentioned it in the in our review, but in the shower scene where they're all sort of showering together, like there is no gender in this. Like they don't, it's not, there's no, you know, at no point are men better than, better than women. You know, the, 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 the sports teams are sort of, uh, you know, unisex The um, the military has got no sort of like qualms about it. It's, it's not, a, it's not an issue in this film. Like it has a, you know, a, a very attractive um, male and female cast. And there's obviously you know the, the love triangle sort of elements of it, which are typical. But for the most part, like gender is a non-issue in this film, um, uh, you know. In a, so in a sci-fi film, but they say when you go back to others, I mean, some of the earlier films as well, we sort of highlighted how sort of rapey Blade Runner gets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and, and then, I had never, I had not seen that. I, I had never. You know, I mean, I had seen that it was problematic or whatever, but it it never like set off just alarm bells, klaxons going in my head where I'm like, you know, yeah. what am I watching a rape? You know, I mean, <laughs> you know, that sort of emergency light uh, wasn't flashing in past viewings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's the thing that, you know, you do identify new things and sort of, you know, and again, um you know the gender politics of Forbidden Planet from 1956 are quite. You know it's uh, it's 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 there on the screen that they're sort of like, um, they see the woman in the film as sort of like lesser. Is she sort of like you know she's a bit of a daft sort of like, can- eye candy for the majority of the film. Um, yeah, there to be sort I, of a damsel in distress. That's true, and and I, I think you know when we discuss that, it has this odd thing that a lot of films from the era have. And even films today have where there is a sort of positive, smart female character who even is a a role model in certain respects, right? Intelligent, Mm. independent, not embarrassed about sexuality, all this. But the moment a woman falls in love, she just wants to go, you know, barefoot and (laughs) pregnant and cook turkeys all day. And, you know, uh, just like becomes a different character overnight. Like this is just a well-established fact about female psychology. That seems to be what a lot of movies, including even today, um, mm. where, you know, you have characters where the writers do a good job. I mean, today they're very conscious of wanting to prevent, present that kind of stronger female character. But then it comes to the point where, yeah, you know, we need Spider-Man to rescue Mary Jane again, you know, mm. so... <laughs> She's going to make some stupid mistake and get captured. And then she's going to be the damsel in distress. Um, and so there is this kind of like reversion to old, old tropes. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, you know, it sounds like they try to get away from it, but it's always, 
we're not quite there yet. We're not quite there. It's taken what fifty six. You're talking sort of seventy odd, sort of sixty plus years. <laughs> so maybe one day. So is it worth us then getting into our our ratings of these ten films? Oh yeah, I I can't wait to to sort of see what we think and also why we think it. Um, you know, the difference between like what's how do you rate for fun uh, versus yeah. it being a good movie? Like some things are just really fun and some things are not fun but sm- like you know not as enjoyable but you think about it a lot more um exactly yeah yeah Let, let's see let's sort of get and see how we go with this so if we we'll start from the beginning and, and work forward so ding, uh, ding, 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 ding. the moment yeah, is gone to, right this is it then. so let's see how we go with it. forbidden planet from 1956 so one to ten, then Julian. What what are your thoughts on this? How, where have you placed it? Okay, this is this is going to be shocking. Uh, mm-hmm. This the rest of my ratings. You know, uh, you will all see. Uh, I think I tend to be <laughs> fairly tough, uh, but I give forget Bitten Planet a nine. Okay, wow. Yeah. Uh, what about you? Uh, I gave it a six. Wow, um, that's awesome! I love it. Yeah. <laughs> um, why? Why a nine? Because I know how much you like this film. I do know how much you enjoy this film. Okay, so I mean, I think it, I think it is sort of impeccably made. I think it's mm. very well structured. The special effects are great. Um, you know, it, it drags a little here and there in places, but it is it is the kind of thing that if it were on the tel- on the telly, I would watch it i would kind of be drawn to it you know like robocop or starship troopers it, it has that kind of like fun quality for me but i think it's also just it's very well structured i mean we point out you know some questions but i think it, it's just such a classic story that's just very well told um and it also has that fun aspect it also has the special effects uh and it has some deeper things to think about. So, and also it gets points, you know, for being influential that, Mm. um, you know, it is, seems so far ahead of its time uh, in, in 56 uh, and so influential on Star Trek. So for all those reasons, I think, you know, the fun aspect and the special effects uh, nudge it up for me. Uh, from maybe, you know, I, I would have already gone an eight just for sort of how it's structured and it's got themes that resonate with me. Um, so that's that's my explanation. Uh, why a six? Uh, I, I agree with what you're saying. And I do think part of this is uh, exposure to it at a specific time. Um, so obviously I, I had watched this a long time ago, but not really much. Um, so coming back to it as an adult, I think I enjoyed it. Then I, I actually thought it was, it was a good film. It's got some great moments. You say it's got some interesting themes, and uh, for the most part, the cast are actually not too bad. Um, the, it, it just sort of it has some pacing issues, and I think it, that's that sort of original start, that original sort of uh, Star Trek feel to it. Uh, which I would sort of say it's got that sort of a gentleness to it um, that is fine, but never really hooks me in. Do you know what I mean? It's sort of like, okay, the stakes are fine and we get, I get what you're doing. And, you know, um, 
it, it has a nostalgia thing. Is I like watching it because it's a fifties film, and I, I do quite like that era. Um, but there's still there's some there's some bizarre sort of moments in it, like you know the 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 use of an alien technology, and you sort of like they just whap it on their heads. It feels all it's it's a, you know it's a bit it's a bit Prometheus for me, and uh, that for for that matter, I sort of like mm, it sort of it feels aged. Uh, so I would probably go back and watch it, but I. I it's not. It's not one I would go to as a sort of a as a go to, if you know what I mean. Yeah, for sure. No, and I think all uh, all of that makes sense. I mean, I I utterly see that justification. I mean, I think that mm. uh, that's a completely fair rating. I I don't know. I mean, so, I, I I just love it. Um, and it, and, it, and, it, I, it, and it, I and I do it, think it's structured well. I mean, for me, for me, one of my biggest complaints about movies today, the the kids and how they make these movies, is, <laughs> you know, that, like we've lost a sense of just basic writing, just basic writing mm. structure. Um, you know, if you you know you introduce this element early, it pays off. You know, you don't have you know four villains in your superhero movie just to throw it in. You know, give me a damn structure that makes sense that follows through that knows what it's doing and for me you know you're right about everything you said um but i i I often go back to earlier works and i um and just admire the hell out of just the sheer quality of the writing on on almost just a mechanical level um Mm. and i think that you know even watching like 50s tv show there's tv shows there's a lot of just mechanical good writing that the story is told well in a way that even with good films uh from later periods i often think yeah you know there's some awkward why did you tell it this way i don't know no i i, I agree with what you're saying and, and, and that is definitely one of the sort of the benefits of this that it is it is um i wouldn't say a small film the brain stretch but it's a sort of um it's a well-tailored story um you know, and there's there's very little fat in it. It's it's quite sort of concise in its telling, which is which is good. Um, but it does it. I don't know. It just sort of, sort of feels almost constrained for for that for that thing as well. Um, True. Which is, I suppose it isn't a bad thing. But yeah, it sort of uh, it never gets the juices pumping in, in the same way. I think. Yeah. Fair enough. So, so um, you want to move on to Solaris. Uh, 1971. Yeah. So I went first on Forbidden Planet. Uh, wh- how would you rate Solaris, Scott? I gave Solaris a five. Wow, um, <laughs> that's awesome. And and I and I had to think about this one quite hard because I do I do think about Solaris. <laughs> um, uh, it's, it's one of those that sort of like in my head. Uh, I do think about Solaris, but then I thought then I sort of stopped myself. And said no, no, I don't think about Solaris. I think about the co- the concept that it, in, it, in, it includes, um, you know, the, the planet and, and the, the true alien sort of uh, intelligence and everything that goes with it and how it impacts the people on it. But that's about a third of the film. <laughs> <laughs> and I was thinking, okay, I like, I really like that third of the film when it all goes a bit odd and a bit pear-shaped, sort of, you know, when he's on the space station and, and, and all that sort of stuff. Everything before it, I was like, I think the pacing's odd. I, I, I understand why certain things are there. Um, you know, that the whole driving scene seems to be sort of just there because they were there filming it, so put him in. And there's other bits like that that just, it just sort of, 
it there's a really good story to tell and I like the end result. But yeah, there's an awful lot of stuff that I'm just like, okay, I've got to wade through that. And that not not even the fact that it's Russian, that seems isn't really important, but I just think there's a lot to get through before you get to the good stuff. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, you know, and, and I think that also gets at it's not it's not an enjoyable experience, right? Um, you know, it is if you've got Solaris on the the DVR, you're not going to watch. I mean, I'm watching Family Guy every night of the week before I'm watching Solaris. Um, you know, you need to devote that time and, and even loving that film. So so I gave Solaris an eight. <laughs> um, but but I would acknowledge that it is not fun. Now, I mean, I find, but I do find that it sticks in my memory. And I think that not only that idea of a truly alien, alien intelligence, but also, um, you know, his his dead wife, uh, a lot of those scenes with um, with uh, his wife and, and with the cast on that ship, uh, I find very haunting and, and, and very beautifully composed. And, you know, uh, incidentally, I was reading uh, that I think I was reading about Kurosawa and Kurosawa praised, you know, he apparently Solaris was one of his favorite films and he praised uh, that driving sequence, especially. And he said that it was like the most masterful sequence ever put on, on cinema or something like that. And, and, you know, you think that's crazy, right? Well, one of the things that, that I had forgotten about that is that, um, uh, Tarkovsky had to make it seem like it was a sci-fi landscape when it wasn't. He set up like all of these mirrors all along to mirror lights from other surfaces. So from a later time, you know, here we are in, uh, you know, 2020 looking at a 1971 film, we just think, oh, that's what, that's what Tokyo looks like. And mm. it, it, if anything, it seems very 70s, right? It seems very yeah. concrete and, and unimpressive. And we're like, why the hell are we getting 15 minutes of this car? <laughs> but at the time, you know, people like Kurosawa are, are seeing like the, this in, incredibly complex mirror work that's being done to present, make the city seem bigger and more uh, futuristic than it really is. Um, that was more evident at the time and, and now has been lost. So, I don't know. I mean, I recognize Solaris isn't fun, but I I find it a touchstone that I keep coming back to and 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 love. I I wouldn't argue that it isn't fun. I mean, again, I sort of I break the film into these sort of sections, and I think like you know the the bit, the bit I really do focus on and come back to is that second that second half, maybe the sort of the third act. Is like I say, is all that stuff on the space station of once there, it sort of you know, a lot of it's fantastic. You know, the relationship with the two of the scientists on board, um, you know, the relationship with his sort of, uh, his non-wife and her sort of, um, you know, her sort of growth and realisation of what she is. Um, even like the little things, so, you know, when he actually sort of kills the first one, the first sort of like um, thing and sort of sends her off into space or whatever. But you still find that her the the shawl that she was wearing is still on the chair, and those sorts of moments. Like I remember those those shots. I think it was you know it's it's really well done. But I do feel <laughs> like you know it's it's that, it's that slog of getting through it. I mean, you know, um, 
the moment at the at the end of the film, sort of, you know, when you see him in that sort of the on, on Solaris in that sort of version of that home he has in, in Russia, um, you know, in the sort of the weirdness of it raining inside and all that sort of, it's sort of like, okay, I get now why they did those things at the beginning of the film, but it still took an awful lot to get there. So um, I don't think I'll ever really go back to it, but it's definitely something I'll remember watching. But yeah, I I, I couldn't say. For me, it was. Um, I don't maybe I'm being maybe I'm being tough, but yeah, it's one of those that sort of like I say it has some fantastic and really good, interesting bits in it, but it was a slog to get to those things. Yeah, I, I, I tell, I, sorry, I tell you what it is. It felt it, it's one of those films that sort of because of all that stuff, it feels in self indulgent. Like the director's like, I've got this to do, and I can do this, and I can do that, and that thing about the mirror work is great. Technically, that sounds fantastic. Technically. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't contribute anything to the driving of the plot, and that's sort of I where know. I'm like, do you yeah. know what I mean? It's like, okay, we no, don't absolutely. Need it then. You're you're hundred percent correct, <laughs> right? I mean, I, you know, I I, I think that I, I was going to joke that uh, what we have learned here uh, is that having forty minutes that are boring and that you want cut from the movie makes you <laughs> ding your rating more than me, <laughs> you know, but. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't disagree. I, I guess you know one of the things that I often think about in criticism is how you know how we judge a work of art based on whether we judge it sort of for the average or mm. based on its highest points or its lowest points. Um, and you know there are there are movies that are really great that have. I mean, I, I think Forbidden Planet is great, but you can find low points in that movie that are just cringeworthy mm. and, and painful. Um, you know, obviously for you, the, the 40 minutes of, uh, I, you know, what have you made me watch? Joy? And, uh, you know, um, drug that average down. Right. I mean, yes. if anything, you put a premium on what is, that is just so low, uh, that, you know, the the overall rating cannot be that great. Um, and I acknowledge it's low, but I don't think that it's it, it's bad. I think it's still interesting. It might not be something I want to watch again, that portion anytime soon, but it's not bad enough that w- it makes me ding the, the uh, rating too much. Um, mm. but, I, but I also think the highs are so incredibly high um, mm. that the highs for me are like 10 out of 10. And there's a lot of stuff that's 10 out of 10 here for me, um, just in terms of how it's done, how it's shot, what it means um, for those characters, what it means in terms of deeper philosophical issues about our connection to each other and, you know, authenticity and things like that. Um, so I often wonder about this, like, you know, whether we're judging based on sort of the average of, of the work or privileging its highs and lows. No, yeah, that's a good point. And I think if, if, if this had been, you know, one of those films that sort of was, if you could split it into two halves, um, I think that, like you said, that first half would be lower quite a bit, you know, not, not, um, but that second half probably, I'd probably looking at maybe a, you'd probably be looking at a seven, maybe seven and a half for that second half, because I really do enjoy a lot of that stuff. Um, 
but yeah, it just. But there are even moments in that, like you say, where you're sort of like, yeah, okay, it's really good. This is really good, and then it drags itself. It sort of comes down again, and you're like, oh, you just you seem to be doing <laughs> something that sort of just for the sake of it. You know, it's a bit. It's a bit like maybe one day we'll get round to it. That you know, like two thousand and one is mm-hmm. is very similar in that um, it has moments of spectacle. Even the very opening of the film, you know, the docking of the sort of the space station and stuff, it's it's a great spectacle. And maybe it just goes up to my attention span. But after a certain amount of minutes, I'm a bit like, I get the point. <laughs> you know, it's it's sort of the model works fantastic, but like, you know, you yeah. So I think it's it's sort of a bit of that really. Maybe my my millennial uh, <laughs> <laughs> early millennial attention span. Uh, I was I was ruined by Saturday morning cartoons. Um, okay, MTV. So that, I blame MTV. Yes, that's MTV ruined me. Um, so that was Solaris. So now this was the real contention. So Star Wars. And when we say Star Wars, that we have to be clear. This is nineteen seventy seven. It's a, a New Hope uh, Star Wars. So, uh, what rating did you give a New Hope? Uh, I give it a six. It's and interesting I, actually because out of surprise. Yeah. Yeah. No, and do you know what? Because obviously, I I review this with with you for for this, and then obviously we we discussed it when I I discussed it when I did the the overall retrospective uh, for, with the with the other two other guys. And I sort of realised something about this film, and it, you'll be surprised. You know, I'm I'm holding back on my score because I I think it's going to surprise you. Um, I I do like that original trilogy, um, but I've changed my mind, and I, I for for many years I held this sort of thing of like. You know, Empire Strikes Back is the best, and then it's Star Wars, and then it's Return of the Jedi, and that sort of thing. And sort of like, you know, it's cool to sort of like to rib on the uh, to the Ewoks and stuff. <laughs> having watched it this time, and having watched it in the context of like the the prequels and the, the sequels, A New Hope is the worst one of that trilogy, without a doubt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I um, agree with that. And so, so. You know, I, I find that Empire Strikes Back is actually a, is a really good film. I think there's some fantastic stuff in there, and mm-hmm. I actually and I think I think Return of the Jedi has got some great bits. It's just a an all out sort of like balls to the wall, just fun. Like they they really ramp up that sort of the space battles, and it's got real ridiculous plot holes in that as well. But so I sort of came down on this and gave it a six point five. Yeah. Wow. Um, and. This score has dropped month on month recently. So <laughs> I think I would have probably given this like a seven and a half and an eight. You know, if, mm-hmm. if we'd have talked about this this time last year, sort of st- early sort of 2019, I think I'd have been sort of, this has been a couple of points ahead. Mm-hmm. But really getting into this, um, I struggled with the fact that sort of there's so much that sort of doesn't make any sense. You know everything from sort of characterization through to sort of time plot holes through to, um, you know, just some just some sort of space waffling that gets given into this film, and everything. Um, it's fine. It's a good pulpy fun adventure, but yeah, it's it, it it's not as good as as I think. You know, its it sort of reputation would have you think. Yeah, I, I admire it. Yeah. I thought I'd left you speechless for a moment then. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I mean, so my thinking is, you know, a six is slightly better than average. So, you know, my mm. thinking is, I mean, you know, Star Wars is fun. 
there there i mean it, it's painful for me but there are you know obviously mccory's work is is brilliant so so you know to me a six is sort of in line with um stuff that's fun it doesn't have anything really deeper to off deep to offer um it's not like an impeccably done fun ride that might get up to a seven or 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 maybe a little higher if it's perfectly done or something but you know so to me like a six is an honorable score that says uh this is fun it's definitely uh visual sort of uh you know feast it's definitely you know music it's got things going for it not a great movie not trying Mm. to be a great movie um but uh yeah i mean it's, it's better than average um you know and i think that you know, so to me, I think a six is uh, makes sense in that context mm. for me, um, and and that helps to sort of like put it in that category of, yeah, this is this is a a, a fun movie, um, but it's a lot closer to um, say Flash Gordon than uh, you know uh, Citizen Kane, you know. Yes. Yeah. It it just. Yeah, and that's it. It is good fun. I mean, like you say, the, the sort of the you know the trench run at the end of the film on the Death Star is is really well done. Like the special effects work and the model work is really good, um, and some of the characters are, you know are good. But it's one of those films that sort of the more you dig, the more sort of like inconsistencies are sort of you know like the, the, it, I, I understand that things can be refined and that sort of thing. But even the sort of like the skill of and, and power of a Jedi is all over the place in this film, sort of. <laughs> From from the use of sort of, um, and we said it in the review, like everything from the use of sort of the, you know the sort of Jedi mind trick through to the ability to move things with with, with it's all over the place. But more than thing, the one thing that sort of struck me more than anything this film is Luke is just a, not a very nice person. <laughs> I just decided he's, so. he's a he's a whiny brat who, who the people that have cared for him for nineteen years he sort of mourns them for all of twenty minutes. And then this old bloke in a sort of a cape who he's known for all of, you know, an hour or so. When he dies, he's sort of like, he's really broken up about it. And I'm like, you've got some real emotional problems. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. And all um, Luke does is whine to, you know, to um, Uncle Ben, you know, uh, those yeah. people who have taken care of me. He's like, you know, yeah, you've taken care of me. Uh, but you know, I, I want to go off and, and do these things and, um, and they want him to, but he, he is just kind of whiny. I never really, I never really liked him that much growing up. I think it's interesting that people like, you know, they, we love Han Solo, right? But mm-hmm. nobody really likes Luke, right? Yeah. <laughs> he's cool. He's the main character, but you know. People don't really, you know, you want to be him because you want his powers, right? But and you want to mm. be the hero. But yeah, he's he's just not that likable. No, no. So yeah, so th- this is th- this last sort of couple of months has been a uh, a revelatory period for me in Star Wars. Um, well, Julian Darius ruining fun <laughs> since nineteen seventy six. Well, let's see how we get on with the rest okay. of the films. So, so, so yeah, so I'll, I'll have you go first uh, on this. Blade Runner, uh, Ridley Scott from 1982. 
What's your rating? So Blade Runner, this was, yeah. I I actually, I gave this an eight. Um, because it, uh, this film, again, it has, it has some problems, but, um, I, I, with this film, I think, you know, we, we just talked about Han Solo and stuff and, you know, I've, I, I like Harrison Ford. Um, you know, I, I don't think he's the greatest actor of all time, but I, I really enjoy Harrison Ford and things, but there's just something about this film that I get really pulled into. So every time I watch it, sort of like, it's that sort of like, you know, um, sort of noir sort of uh cyberpunk sort of feel to it all and sort of uh you know that just it's i don't know there's just something like this film that, that i really really enjoy i think the characters are great i think sort of the concept of um replicants is, is really interesting and the way they get treated uh, i like the fact that you know this took us down to that sort of conversation around slavery and almost like workers rights um, but yeah, there's, it, it, aesthetically, there's just something about this film I really enjoy, uh, and I just find the sort of the the, the amb- ambiguity around some of the plot points as well. Sort of just keep me. I can go back to this film again and again, um, and sort of that question around sort of is Deckard a replicant? Yes or no? Um, and also the sort of thing of like what what is the relationship between Deckard and Rachel? Like, you know, is it love? Is it infatuation? Mm. Is it just one of sort of mutual sort of survival? Um, I just find all of it really interesting, actually. Yeah, I so agree. What's your thoughts? All of that. Um, I also gave it an eight, um, mm. and I think you know what's curious to me is how my perception of this film has changed over time, uh, and I think that it's actually lowered over time. I think that Blade Runner is often seen as sort of a no doubt a nine or a 10, right? I mean, it's kind of revered almost as like the the quintessential sci-fi film with something to say, you know, and it, it's deep and about humanity and what's real and who's real and, and all that stuff is there. And obviously, aesthetically, unbelievably influential. I do think it's slow. Um, mm. I think that, you know, it doesn't have 40 minutes like Solaris, but I mean, I do think it's slow. Um I don't think that there's, you know, certainly I, I don't think most of the acting is fantastic. I think that it is usually overrated. Um, and then mm-hmm. it has flaws that most people don't acknowledge. Um, but it does have obviously incredibly influential, beautiful. You think about it. There's so much to enjoy. Uh, and at this, but especially in our conversation, watching it this time and talking about it with you, we were able to really see a lot of flaws and a lot of stuff that just does not make sense. Um, Mm. And at the same time, acknowledge how beautiful it is, how influential it is and get into all of these deep questions, which I love thinking about and talking about and are there in the film, but I don't know that the film is really in control of itself and it has some kind of flaws that, aren't usually acknowledged by the uh, Blade Runner's brilliant crowd. Yeah, no, 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 I agree with that. I think there are sort of, it definitely has problems. uh, And I agree that pacing is one of them. Uh, But in contrast to sort of Solaris, it's it's sort of, it's pacing, but within a sort of a much shorter runtime. And so those sort (laughs) of slumps, I think are shorter. Um, And um, 
you know, I, th- I think one of the things you sort of said, you said before is about those low, you know, the lows and the highs. Um, and I do think that the highs of this film are, you know, are really sort of there's the reason it's so influential. You know, sort of they stand out. Um, but there are still moments that are completely daft. You know, the sort of the, the things that don't work <laughs> and sort of Roy Batty sort of breakdown at the end of the film. There are moments in that that are, that are just plain head scratching. Um, but yeah, there's just something like this one I can go back to again and again. It's sort of, you know, it, and I think the fact that the, the the director, the fact that Ridley Scott went back to this multiple times to refine it, sort of goes to show that yeah, there is something here that 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 warrants that sort of attention. Um, and so you've said it sort of come down. I think this has sort of come up for me in in my estimation. So I think you're right. When I watched this as a kid <clears throat> or when I was younger, I think its slow pace did bother me. Um, because I was expecting, because the, I mean, the poster and sort of parts of it, sort of when it's portrayed, it's, I'm expecting something a bit more action packed. Mm-hmm. But I actually sort of now that it, now that I'm older, I actually appreciate that slower pace and sort of the fact it does sort of like tap into that sort of like 30s noir sort of you know Sam's sort of Sam Spade sort of uh, uh, aesthetic. Um, and so yeah, no, I think this has probably gone up a point or so with me. Uh, in the last couple of years. Yeah, sounds good. So, moving from uh, the f- from future replicants then to body horror, <laughs> and nineteen eighty six is the fly. So let's see where where are you with that? Uh, so I gave it a seven, um, mm. and and my thinking there is you know okay it's better than it's better than Star Wars right. Um, it has something to say, um, but it's not sort of in that, uh, flawed classic, uh, territory of the eights of a Solaris or a Blade Runner. Um, it seems clear to me it's between Star Wars and, and Blade Runner. Um, and you know, in, and in the case of the fly, I mean, this was one of the films that, uh, I sort of changed my opinion on, or I found myself, um, confronting uh again i hadn't seen it for years and my memory of it was like yeah i liked it but i was a kid you know um (laughs) you know i I liked tons of stuff that was just entertaining and you know guy turns into a fly and i mean the plot is absurd right so in memory i remember Mm. like yeah jeff goldblum everybody likes him who gives a shit uh you know teleporter accident turns a man into a fly like yeah it's doing what it's doing fine but I, I didn't think that I'd go back to it and think it was so gripping and just so well done. And and talking about it with you really aided me in that. And so I think The Fly has gone up in my estimation. Mm. And I gave it a seven. What about you? Uh, for me, I'll say this is, a, is, a, is another eight. Um, and, I, and I do think maybe that sort of part of it influences me. It's one of those films I watched probably younger than I should have been. Um <laughs> And, but there is so much in this film, and I, and I find it's, it's it's pretty it's quite short, it's quite punchy, and um, it it is absurd. I mean, you know, we talked about it—the the notion of this sort of almost like rogue scientist being able to create these these teleportation pods in his bedroom, pretty much, um, and being funded by this sort of uh, this this science company, um, and also the fact that there seems to be a science magazine with an endless budget. Um, <laughs> But I, I don't know. Yeah, just the idea of this, this sort of, 
this idea of sort of the, the potentiality of technology and sort of, you know, this sort of drive forward, you know, the, I mean, if this had gone well, Brundle would have been up there with people like, uh, you know, Bill Gates and um, Tesla and, you know, all those sorts of uh, Elon Musk and you know, that sort of thing. Um, he's this sort of kooky genius. Um, and so, you know, and the performance of, of, of uh, Jeff Goldblum in this film from that sort of quirky, uh, you know, boring sort of scientist guy to the to to the fly to Brundle fly by the end is sort of is so well done. He's sort of you know he's so engaging throughout it all. Um, that, yeah, I just I just find there's a lot in this and sort of you know there are moments in this film that again I know are silly, but they're actually sort of, a lot of it's handled really really well. Um, you know, like like when he finally loses it and goes out to the bar and sort of you know breaks a guy's arm and. It's, it, I don't know. I just um, I'm invested in that film, but also the ideas that come up in it as well. So the idea when he has a conversation with Gina Davis, he sort of says, "You know, you ever heard of a fly politician?" Well, mm-hmm. no, there isn't. There isn't <laughs> one because the law of the sort of the jungle, the law of the insect world, is, is kill or be killed. So that's what I'm becoming. So you, you know, you may want to run, sort of thing. Um, <laughs> it's it's really interesting, and it's, it's 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 another tragic sort of science story. Um, so. I don't know, yeah, for me, it does. It does sort of sit up there as that sort of like it crosses two worlds as well for me. So obviously, it's sort of there's the horror, and I've obviously got you know my love of horror as well as well as my love of science fiction. It sort of crosses those two worlds and marries them up, which um, to me, sort of like it's a bit of a it's a double win for me. So I think that's one of the reasons I sort of yeah I hold it quite high actually. Yeah, I, I think that, that all makes sense, and uh, you know, seven and eight were pretty close there. Um, mm. I think one of the things you said that, that resonates with me is about its runtime. Um, mm. And, you know, that's that's very true. I mean, I, I think that there's a, there's a great place for movies that are shorter. They do what they do. They do what they do really well. They get in, mm. they get out. And, you know, here again, there's a sort of question of like, well, how do you judge that? I think, I think for me, for me, the fly you know, is closer to something like, you know, sort of James Wales Frankenstein, you know, which I hope we'll talk about Mm. at some point where, you know, it's short, it's doing what it's doing really well. It's kind of got some classic images that stick with you that are great. Um, uh, And it's got some deeper themes that, you know, I agree uh, that's there. The performance, you know, uh, is, is brilliant in the fly. Um, and, and, but ultimately I feel like it gets in, it tells this story really well, not perfectly, but really well. And it gets out. And the point is sort of like to, to entertain you with these, these deeper messages and it does it really well, but it doesn't sort of like transcend for me to, uh, you know, something that, you know, uh, either is just so impeccable or, or so deep, um, that that I I'm gonna come back to it again and again, like you know Solaris or something. Mm. I understand that. I can I can appreciate that. So yeah, I mean yeah, it, it, it's it's an interesting one because I think it's it's also very eighties. I think that sort of uh, um again, like you say, it's, it's, I think it's when you come to some sometimes when you come to a film, it's sort of like, you know, it can obviously influence what you can take from it. Um. Which is also obviously is also important, actually, and relevant to to the next film. Um, so Akira from nineteen eighty eight. 
Um, is it my turn? Am I going first for this one? I've lost uh, track. Well, well, it would it would be. Uh... I would be my turn, I think, because uh, if you introduce it, I, I give the rating first. But if you want to go first, I don't care. Uh, I can't remember Come if you gave the first one. For yeah. <laughs> well, let's just go for it then. Uh, uh, yeah, so I just sort of jumped on for that one. So I gave Akira a seven. Um, because, uh, again, I think it's in, it's it's obviously incredibly influential. Um, you know, it's, it's influenced an awful lot of films. It's sort of introduced... Um, Japanese animation really in many respects to to the west um it looks great i mean this is you know it's sort of uh the, sort of the uh what do you call it? the sort of cell rate and that is you know it was, it was revolutionary they used this is like 47 cells uh, a second to try and make it look more like sort of fluid animation and fluid sort of filming um and i just sort of i think again it's one of those i think sort of uh the sort of the a lot of it's nonsense. I mean, this is it's a it's a very sort of you know odd story, but um, it just for me, I just sort of you know you get invested in it. You got the, the ideas for the the future of uh, uh, Neo Tokyo, uh, the biker gangs, and then just the idea that it's kids that like actually this isn't sort of two adults trying to take this on. This is just two petulant kids uh, fighting this out on a, a really big sort of playground. Um, and I just find that whole thing sort of really interesting. So yeah, no, to me it was it was a it's a solid seven. Well, I, I gave it a six. Um, mm. and and so to me, to me, I mean, those are both pretty close. I agree with everything you said. I I think that to me it's basically Star Wars. You know, um, mm. I it's it's not to me it's not as good as the Fly. Um, you know, and I think that it seems very similar to star Wars in several respects. I mean, it is very, it was very influential. It's visually kind of stunning, right? The, um, you know, it has this look to it that pe people remember certain bits of it and they remember things like the motorcycle more than they do some of the haphazard plot elements. I think the plot of Akira is almost as much of a mess as the plot of Star Wars. Um, but I, and I think it's a little less fun, honestly. Uh, I, you know, Star Wars is a little more watchable to me. There are sequences in Akira that are brilliant that I, I, you know, could watch on repeat, you know, but there are other sequences where I'm like, you know, this makes no sense. This is really stupid. Get back to that car. You know, get back to the, yeah. the bike driving around. Um, uh, I want to see that. And I think that my my takeaway from it is really beautiful, really influential. Um, and, you know, but ultimately, uh, ultimately vapid. And, and what's important are these brilliant sequences, like what's important about Star Wars is, you know, the lightsaber and Darth Vader and these kinds of iconic visuals. Uh, yeah, but I think they're very similar to me in that respect. No, that's a good point. I, do, I agree with what you're saying. Um, and again, I think you you know that's my set. You know, I said before about sort of like I have a it's a strong whatever. I think this is sort of like a, a seven in that sort of like yeah, I, I do really like this. I think it's got some things to it. But like I say, I could easily be swayed on a, a you know if if I was in a different mood. 
I could probably be swayed a little bit to sort of to drop that down, or maybe even yeah, maybe good the way that I don't know. But yeah, all of these so ratings that's... are subject to change. Uh, we yes. we would never come up with these same ratings exactly the same <laughs> way ever again. Uh, no, these are also a, a moment in time. Um, but the so, next uh, one's going to be Starship Troopers. The next one, ninety-seven. Yeah. Paul Verhoeven. Um, I, I gave this a seven. And this was interesting. I think this has actually come down in my estimation. I think that if I had mm. to rate it uh, a year ago, I would have given it an eight or maybe even a nine, um, you know, more clearly in that territory. And I think, you know, it, it's ironic because we had this podcast about it in which the two of us just raved about it and it just had so much fun talking <laughs> about it. But it also brought out to me like how soap operatic it is how mm. you know and and how i mean you know i was going to say you know blade runner slow what it really needs is a 15 minute uh you know flying car sequence um <laughs> you know uh starship troopers has i mean that whole like sort of first 40 minutes is really a you know sort of sci-fi version of 90210 and mm. And I was amazed by how watching it again, by how much of the stuff that I liked is further and further toward the end of the film. And even once they start fighting, it's like, this is good. I remember all of this. I've thought about this stuff again. The stuff that's most sticks in my mind is like that final act. That final 25 minutes is the best of the film to me Um, Mm. or the last half hour or whatever. Um, And so I, I guess those sort of like campy elements, the ways in which like, it's not as good as Robocop, you know, as far as Verhoeven stuff um, or, you know, uh, so I don't know for me, it's a, it's a, it's a seven. I I actually gave it a seven as well, but I, I actually was verging on a six and a half. Um, but I think I went for a seven because of, because of the that enjoyment factor. And I agree with everything you've just said. Um, in that, like you say, it does it does do a really good job of uh, satirizing the sort of the military and sort of uh, weirdly predicting sort of like clickbait media. Um, and you know, the cast, I think the cast are pretty good in the same in the sense of like they do what they're supposed to do. I think they're supposed to be like you say that sort of soap opery, uh, you know, chiselled good looks kind of sort of um, cast. But and it, it, it sort of gets it's fun, but it does have like dips, you know. It really does sort of like it's it's trying to be sort of a sci-fi um, full metal jacket, and doesn't quite make it. Um, in in some cases, I mean, it, it is a brilliant film. It's really good fun. Like we kept saying it does stand up. Like you can still watch this and really enjoy it and take things from it. But the fact is, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said it's not as good as RoboCop. And to me, I think Robocop's probably one of Paul Verhoeven's best. Like, I, I really enjoy that film. I love Robocop, and we will get to that, I think, one day. Um, and so the satire in this sort of is good. It's for, it's taken on the military rather than big corporations. But it's it never feels as cutting or as, um, you know, it's, it's, it's... Robocop feels like it's, it's really going for the jugular with a lot of things. This sort of feels like it's poking somebody in the ribs... Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, they're, they're both doing a good job, but not. It's not. It's quite not quite as sort of um, 
intensely trying to sort of satirise what it's supposed to be satirising, which is possibly studio interference. But yeah, that's sort of where I think it's sort of it could have been a lot more. Yeah, I mean, I I mentioned structure, you know, in, in talking about Forbidden Planet, and you know, I mm. I am such a uh, sucker for you know a well structured story, and partly what I like about Starship Troopers is how crazy and out of control it is, and how much it throws <laughs> out um, the rules of of how you're supposed to write this stuff or even have a conclusion, um, but. Part of that chaos is also that it's not as tight. It's not as in control of itself. And I think RoboCop, um, I agree with you. We both love that film. RoboCop is much more in control. There's no like, you know, moment where, I mean, there are moments of like gore or something, but there's no moment where like all of a sudden a guy's eyeball falls out for no reason. And and, and it's like suddenly Mm. a, uh, Ray Harryhausen film for a minute, you know, uh, where you just think that doesn't tonally belong with that movie. Um, and Starship Troopers is doing that all the time. It's and and I think that if I were to rate Starship Troopers for fun, it's a nine for me. Um, it's so much fun every time that's on TV. I'm gonna I'm gonna you know kind of stop what I'm doing and watch it. But it does have these flaws and it's not controlled. As a as a narrative, as a display of a world. Mm. No, I'd agree with that. I do. I, I, yeah, I think you know, there's uh, um, things that were taken from the original source material that sort of like they seem to have kept odd things that make no sense, as we said, sort of like that they're all living in Buenos Aires, yet mm-hmm. they're all clearly from <laughs> California. <laughs> like that, yeah. that makes no sense at all. It's almost like a nod to the book that doesn't need to be there. Um, so, yeah, I, I I agree with that. That's not to say you know it's, it's sort of. I feel like I'm still trying to defend it, but it's just, it's still a really good film, um, and it's definitely fun. I mean, you know, going back to like how we rank these things, I mean, mm. its fun score is higher for me. Um, okay, so what do you think about Primer, two thousand four? Primer, I, I know so this was... you, you like this less than I did. I did. I actually gave this a six. Um, and actually, from our conversation, since our conversation, like I haven't watched the whole thing, but I went back and I wanted to check a couple of things. So I have sort of skipped in and, and, and sort of watched some bits, uh, mainly around the sort of the time travel uh, elements of how it's sort of laid out and sort of, you know, sort of uh, feeds into the finale. Um, so, um, yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's a film that is so structured um and you have to be prepared for um i think it does sort of benefit multiple viewings um and i think that it does have something to say i love the fact that it is like a a a well thought out and well considered approach to time travel you know this the the whole notion of how it all works and that is fantastic um and i quite like the payoff at the end of how it sort of you know it seems to be using uh, they've been using it then to sort of manipulate these different bits and pieces. But it's almost like a, a better director, like say Christopher Nolan, which we'll get on to, would do this and you get something like Memento or you, you know, you get something that you go, Oh my God, that's really well done. That's sort of, you know, you get something from it. 
and to me, I think it's sort of um, this film is too subtle in some some respects, too downplayed, and so you have to work way too hard to get everything from it, which is a shame because I think there is a lot here. Um, whereas I think sort of you know there's a balance there to give in to that sort of entertainment value to try and bring it out a little bit more. So yeah, it it fell short for me. What about yeah, you? Um, I gave it an eight. Um, mm. I, I I think that I mean I think it's it's I agree with with you know I actually agree with all of that I think um, you know I think that it's it's pretty impeccably well done. It's staggering uh, how much they accomplished on that small budget. I think that there is and and I think it's a it's a kind of classic. I mean I, I think that it's. Um, you know, it's probably, you know, in a relatively short list of the best sci-fi movies ever made, maybe not in the top 10, but certainly, you know, the top 25 or so. Um, it does have its flaws. And I think you're right. And I, and I think that like, there's a, there's a version of Solaris that you would like better. And, and frankly, I would like better where, um, you know, not necessarily another director took over, but another editor took over and chopped, you know, 30 minutes out, um, you know, just condensed some stuff, you know, certainly made it, you know, 20 minutes, made it move faster. There's a version of Primer that had more money and that yes. extended that last, uh, that last sort of uh, 20 minutes or so by probably another 20 minutes. Um, and that had more money and had more time to do this stuff and, and maybe to signal how brilliant it it is underneath. Um, just a little better, just to give you a little more of that sort of like Chris Nolan, like, you know, thump, like, yes, here's the <laughs> twist, you know, you know, I'm getting it. And, and because this is so low budget and down to earth, it has an aesthetic that works for me, but, but it doesn't necessarily bring you along with its narrative uh, in an optimal way. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think that's the sort of thing. If this if this had some extra money, I mean, you know, not not even like a great deal of money. Like you say, what was the budget? It was like ridiculously low, wasn't it? Like in the tens of thousands of pounds. Was it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, like you say, just just a, a little bit more. Like they, they could have expanded on it, and I think that would that would definitely make the film more accessible, which would probably raise the rating a little bit well look forward to the uh michael bay reboot in 2031 <laughs> <That's>, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah now yeah, with yeah. motorcycles Explo- <laughs> explosions every 30 seconds like no reasons just an explosion dude uh, you didn't tell me you were going back in time already <laughs> The other thing is, of course, you're saying as if, as if they'd be human. They wouldn't. They'd either be mutants or robots. So it would uh, it would probably be a very... In fact, I'm not surprised if they didn't actually just use this as a Transformers film at some point in the future. <laughs> Optimus Primer. Um, oh, there you go. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Uh, okay, so we're going to jump on again. And we sort of now we, we mentioned Nolan. So here we have it then. Uh, Inception. 2010 what what were your thoughts on inception uh i gave it an eight um mm-hmm. so I, I had a i've got a bunch of films that have gotten an eight um 
And, you know, to me, if anything, Inception kind of also lowered a little bit in our discussion. And it's interesting to me, like, sort of how it's fluctuated. I think when I first saw it in theaters, I thought, yeah, you know, it's not it's not Dark Knight. It's not uh, The Prestige. Um, you know, I really liked it. I thought visually it was probably, you know, better than those films. Um, mm. But... Uh, but the plot kind of, you know, irritated me and there was some sort of like uncontrolled aspects of it that I, that I didn't like. Um, and then over time in the year since 2010, it's it's sort of increased in my mind and, and I sort of have found it. No, you know, it's, it's on par with the, the best of Nolan and, and that love story and those characters have really stayed with me and, and stuck with me and meant a lot to me. But watching it and talking about it with you, I felt more of those those plot holes. I mean, there's just so much that you have to uh, accept uh, about mm-hmm. the dreams and you know and, and all of this, and uh, and there are some sort of like uncontrolled elements, um, like it wants the ending to be ambiguous, but you know, there's kinds of you know some question of like, well, it can't really be one way, it can't really be the other. I think it's a great movie. I think it's visually stunning. I think it's got brilliant ideas. I think it's, you know, uh, you know, a, a, a can't miss kind of sci-fi important work, but it does have these flaws that kind of have lowered it maybe in my mind to an eight. Uh, what about you? I, I think, you know, like yourself, I think sort of, I, I jumped around again on this one. I, I, I ended on a 6.5 because exactly of what you just said, sort of, I think the human element of this film is actually quite good. I think you know the 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 the, uh, the thread that runs through it, and I, the thing I picked up in and I, I mentioned in our review was this idea of it, it feels like a haunted film. You know, sort of um, um, Marianne Cotillard's character, sort of like you know she she's this sort of like the haunting in this sort of thing that sort of pops up and will influence things and all sort of stuff. And I, I I like that that sort of you know, the closer you go through his, or the, the, the deeper you go through his sort of uh, dream worlds and subconscious, the more influence she has, which, you know, resonates with his guilt and all this other stuff. And I like the ideas, sort of the concept of it. But then, like you say, it's one of the things that you start to scratch away and it sort of starts to make no sense. <laughs> and yeah. it's sort of like, you know, we said about the technology, okay, that would work in the real world. Then why, but why have they got to have it in, every other sort of dreamscape and why has it got to have someone then look after it and why has it got this and it i like again i like the the sort of the idea that this notion of being able to sort of uh, steal ideas and then but then it's trickier to plant an idea and again it's sort of like so, so the the uh, the themes and ideas it's presenting are actually really interesting and they're actually really good but it's almost like they've sort of focused so much on that that they've gone okay well no one's really going to notice this other bit so let's just crack on um, and so it's sort of there are bits that sort of feel. I would never say Christopher Nolan's lazy. That's that's wrong. But it feels some sort of like almost like um, painted over. You know, sort of like I just ignore that sort of roll on that sort of like and it, that. That to me is disappointing. Um, and again, I, I've got no problem with an ambiguous ending. I'm quite happy with an ambiguous ending. But the fact that this film has been centered around this tragedy this this sort of you know this this thing that's happened to to um the uh, cob uh, uh, 
you know, DiCaprio's yeah. character, to then give it this this sort of ambiguous ending at the end sort of feels unsatisfying. Because maybe it's just me, because what we, well, we got onto a looper, sort of. Maybe I'm just a soft git. I don't know. But like this idea of him, maybe he didn't get home to his kids, and maybe that that was sort of you know, it, it just feels a bit sort of like okay, so why have I been invested in this then? Like you know, surely there should be some sort of like payoff, like um, and so you know, maybe I think that he does get home to his children, but then sort of, and they want to cast doubt, and I'm almost like, oh, you bastard! That feels like a real <laughs> cheap shot. So I don't know. It's it is a good film. Um, and I think again, visually, it's 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 really interesting. Um, but again, it's one of those things. I I had a problem. We sort of talk about with um, I forget her name's character uh, Juno. Uh, what's the bloody name? Yeah. Um, it's just um, sort of her character. This idea of the architect and stuff. And again, it's like, okay, that's a really good idea. That's really interesting. Let's explore that. No, no, it's just it's, she's just there for this and this and this. And it's sort of like. It's, it's it's some parts we just feel like you need people there for certain things and sort of, um, so it's it's not it's not a bad film by any stretch. It's in you know I think it's a very well done film, um, and um, as Nolan produces more and more films, I I don't know if it's in his top half at times because I think he's done better films, but it's still good. So yeah, to me, six point five seems fair. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I don't disagree with that. Uh, yeah, I. <laughs> It had to look it up. Ellen Page is her name. That's um, it. Ellen Page. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not bothered by, I like the ambiguous ending. Um, I'm not mm. bothered by, you know, kill those kids, you know, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, I don't have sort of the same instincts there. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that it's that sort of point that you made. I mean, about, how, you know, why does this wake you up? Why do you need this technology in the next level of the dream that, um, you know, you really helped kind of disassemble some of these things um, that that I saw already, but that, you know, like the sheer, not just, you know, not just that it's the setup of the world that they're establishing, like you, you, you have to accept certain rules, right? You know, aliens yeah. have invaded, whatever. They have this technology, whatever, you know, you have to accept that. But it's, it's the fact that even within that, there are those things of like, why do you have the architect? Uh, you know, why do you need this technology? And I think that you have been very good at pointing those out. Um, and I think it's exactly those things that have lessened this film in, in my memory. Sorry. <laughs> no. I, I, I mean, it's true. But, I still love it. Obviously, I gave it an eight, right? I mean, I yeah. still love it. It's funny, but technology seems to be one of the sort of the hampering factors because it's the same sort of thing that comes up in Looper, isn't it? Sort of in Inception, they've got this technology that allows them to enter somebody's dream and it's never really explained. It's just a silver briefcase with some some tubes coming out of it. Um, but this sort of like, this idea of sort of like, if this is a real thing, then surely as we sort of said about the military influence across sort of all these films, like surely someone should be doing something pretty important with this technology. Like, you know, surely there must be so presidents and, and prime ministers and world leaders must have some serious uh, subconscious defenses in place. Do you know what I mean? That sort of thing uh, to prevent, <coughs> excuse me, um, in, you know, um, the potential of inception or even just what trade secrets or world, you know, national security secrets being leaked. And so you sort of think, okay, so why have they got this technology then? Surely this would be this is sort of must be 
It's hugely confidential. And the same thing sort of happens in Looper, which we'll get onto now, I suppose. Uh, <coughs> so Looper the 2012, to... Ryan Johnson. Yeah. It's the same thing with the technology there. It's sort of like, you've got this, they, they acknowledge in the film that the, the technology's been banned. So why the hell have like, criminal gangs got it? It just, it's sort of, it's a massive sort of jumping point you've got to get over, I suppose. But let's get to um, Looper. Um, te- it's a 10. Let's be honest. It's a damn joke. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I gave this film a 7. Um, and I acknowledge that sort of like, as we sort of said in our review, sort of like the time travel stuff makes no sense. Like, you know, it completely throws out the, the idea of causality Um and uh, you know <laughs> anything else? Um, it sort of you know the the paradoxes that this thing would sort of introduce is off the charts. It makes no sense, but there are still elements of this film for some reason I sort of just seem to really enjoy. I think you know Joseph Gordon-Levitt's really good in it. Um, but the thing I really like is the idea of being in conflict with a different version of yourself, older or younger. Um, and this thing of sort of like this is the trajectory, this idea of this is the trajectory that you are on, and we can change that, but we have to make this decision, um, and then but you know and not being able to do that, I find that I find that really interesting, um, and uh, so yeah no I think I think seven uh, I think again I'm trying to sort of I'm going to try and defend it again but like I say it's, it's just a, to me this is that that character piece that you know I go back to uh, the conversation in the um, the diner that they have where they literally sort of say like don't don't bother thinking about the, sort of like the way it works because we're not going to um, yet those conversations and the idea of sort of uh, the impact of of doing something can have on the future that sort of like you know the the, the ripple effect of things sort of I get quite into that. With this film, so, uh, so yeah, no, I think it's a quite a comfortable seven. Well, What's I gave it, a, I, I gave it a zero. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I know we said one to ten, but um, you know, no, I, I gave it a four. Um, mm. You know, for all the things that that we discussed, um, and and I think you know what's really interesting to me is sort of. Um, the way we're kind of like both hypocrites, <laughs> like yes. uh, Inception is my looper, right? Uh, and I think yes. Inception doesn't have that level of problems, but you know, in its defense, but uh, it, it definitely, you know, I mean, you, you know, uh, total reset Inception and new orifice uh, with your, with your mad logic skills. <laughs> uh, and uh, you know, and I think what it comes down to for both of us is that we acknowledge these things, but they bother us less or at the end of the day, like inception is for me, 90% of the time, pretty damn gripping. And mm. Looper is, is sort of like t- tacitly interesting and has one kind of, gri- you know, re- exciting sequence and then I'm phenomenally bored. Um, and, and I think that, you know, that just what we prefer and what we find fun and engaging 
makes the difference that that we really objective uh, in in objective terms see these two films pretty similarly but hmm. we respond to them subjectively very differently yes yeah and that it, it's interesting i think that's the thing isn't it sort of like say how we approach these films um I, I like the I, I like your comment that sort of yes that we both have these films that have flaws <laughs> and we we're happy to acknowledge them. However, you know I will still hold on to the fact that for some reason it 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 brings as it didn't come back to it, it brings me joy. But um, <clears throat> yeah, I think in in the discussion we sort of said about um, for me it's the sort of it's the character study of this uh, and some of the sort of. Um, you know the potential to to redeem and to change is is just a I've got I've just got a soft spot for that kind of rubbish to be honest it's it's one of those uh, it's it's why I read sort of you know it's one of those great things about comics isn't it that sort of you know this idea of redemption and uh, um what did what did uh, Stan Lee call it the illusion of change yeah um, <clears throat> so uh, yes so I think you know it's, it's <laughs> Interestingly, I think you say there, there are the side. I agree. I definitely agree that there are more uh, plot holes and um, issues of uh, what we say technology uh, in Looper than, than in uh, um, Inception. I am more willing to accept Inception's dream technology than I am Looper's time travel technology. Which, yeah, and also like I say, the way time travel seems to work in the film has has no uh, common sense. Um, and I always like the fact that uh, going back to Primer, um, Ryan Johnson um, contacted uh, the director, the writer and director of Primer, and sort of told him uh, what he was doing with with Looper. And uh, the, the, what's his after his name? The guy who created Primer basically said, "That's not how time travel works." <laughs> and Ryan Johnson was just like, "It is in my film." <laughs> and it's, it's sort of like. He he completely acknowledges that it doesn't make sense, but you know it provides for some visu- visually interesting uh, scenes, um, which I I acknowledge are frustrating and silly, um, but yeah, I don't know. Well, it's just yeah. I and see, I admire that he you know I mean that he can say yeah it doesn't make sense, uh, but this is what I want to do. Um, you know, it gets back to the like admitting both of us being able to admit like, yeah, I mean, Inception has these major problems. Um, and, you know, it does get back to subjectivity. It does get back to emotion. And hmm. uh, Inception breaks my heart. Um, Inception moves me. Uh, you know, it's not it's not even that it's fun. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm such a maybe I'm such an emotional masochist, but uh you know, Inception just, it, it breaks my heart. Uh, you know, there there are shots of, you know, that, uh, that um, you know, sort of bottom, you know, um, mm. they call it uh, um, Limbo, uh, where, yes. you know, you just see that shot of Limbo and that, and that bass plays. And, and I think there's something about a stunning visual with stunning audio that means something emotionally to me in that story that it's like all you know audiovisual and significance are kind of like all uh overlapping in the venn diagram and and making something that just feels so perfect to me 
as both mm. audio, you know, as this sort of like audio visual feast that I'm engaging in that also kind of breaks my heart, and, and you know, and messes yeah. with my head and, and makes me think about relationships. And, and Looper doesn't do that uh, for me. Um, but, you know, we're both right. Uh, these, you know, what's interesting is although these are subjective emotional responses, that stuff is there in Looper. And it's absolutely mm. there. And that's stuff that is there. It, it works for you in a way that it doesn't for me, but I can't deny that it's there. And I can't deny that, you know, that is the redemption of that film. And, you know, that stuff is objectively there. It, it, it just works for you in a way that it doesn't for me. Yeah. And I think there's, there's things to acknowledge. I mean, I actually... Um... I you know I think I think Ryan Johnson is an interesting director. Um, I I, th- I always think his films make interesting choices, um, whether they be good or bad. You know, um, I really like Brick. I think Brick is an incredibly interesting film. Um, doesn't always work in the way that I think he's he intends it to work. Um, and same with Last Jedi. I think you know Last Jedi is, is a is a very well made film, but I think it doesn't quite work in what he's intended. Um, and so I, I would acknowledge that I think Nolan is a definitely a, a, a more masterful director. Um, but there's, yeah, there's just something about his films that I do sort of that do that does sort of work for me as well. Uh, so well, yeah, but what's what's interesting is so I usually think of myself as and and people tell me that I'm a tough critic, you know, that like consistently my ratings are, you know, a a point or two below other people. Um, Mm. And you, I think you have been a tougher critic on this, this first season than I have, which astounds me, Scott. I mean, you get, you get a special merit badge in my book for that. (laughs) I am one mean mother. That's what it is. (laughs) From outer space. Uh, that's yeah and that's that's another one we're gonna do one day i love that film um, oh me too uh so but that's that's it that's that's us looking back at season one this is our first a season really I'm, and i'm really proud of what we've done with this i think it's been a uh a real journey and, I'm, and and you know i mean what do you think are you you know are you pleased with what we've done oh my god yeah i mean it has been such a joy for me doing this and you know, when you first suggested doing this, um, I had been on 20th Century Geek and enjoyed our um, our podcast very much and, and sort of had a rapport with you and, and really felt very simpatico. Um, but uh, you sort of proposed this out of left field and I thought, okay, that's that's ambitious. You know, uh, what are we going to do? And And then I really got into it. And you know, it really feels like our own. And, mm. and I think that we have grown in our rapport and our understanding of each other um, and our, the way we approach film. And I've learned about every single one of these films by talking with you about it. And I think that that's amazing. And I also think that the sheer joy that I have had revisiting these films and discussing them and and doing this with you, recording this every every couple of weeks uh, has been a, a, just a great thing. And there are weeks where I think, oh, you know, I I'm doing X, Y, and Z. You know, 
oh shit, I got to watch, you know, Akira in the next two days, you know? <laughs> uh, but, you know, and, and maybe I enjoy watching it and, or maybe I don't. Maybe, you know, that varies. But when I talk to you and when we have these uh, discussions, these sort of jam sessions of ideas, it makes my day. And the whole rest of my day, uh, it's earlier here than it is there. So the whole rest of my day is a great day because I feel like I've done something. We've shared our thoughts. We've got another episode in the bag. And and I just have enjoyed that discussion and thinking about it. And I feel so comfortable talking with you about it and sharing these things and being able to be honest about it. So I hope that joy comes out. Uh, and I hope that if the audience enjoys it half as much as I do, it will mean a whole lot to them. No, I, I, I have to echo that because I, I, I agree. Like you say, it's, a, it's always a bit later here um, just because of time differences. But um, it, uh, it, it's, it's, it's one of those, after recording, like, I have to go and like mellow out because these, these sessions, these sort of, like say, I love the idea. That's a, it's like a sci-fi jam session. Um, it does. It gets me sort of like, gets my brain pumping. It gets my sort of, like, you know, my synapses firing and it's sort of, um, it's, you know, some of the ideas we come up with and some of the thoughts we come up with, they stick with me and they do, they sort of, you know, I can talk to, to, to other things and it sort of gets me onto other ideas and other things we can do and ideas and stuff. So it's, it's, uh, I really enjoy doing this. It's, it's it's an absolute joy and an absolute pleasure and honor to be doing this with you. So I'm so glad our season one has been a success, really. Um, but it's it's we're not we're not a one hit wonder. We're not going to be a one hit wonder. <laughs> we're not sort of we're not sitting on our laurels. Um, we have got other things lined up, and we've got some bonus material as well coming out. We are going to take um, obviously this is season one done. Uh, we're going to take a break for a, a, a couple of weeks in the sense of you'll still be getting content. You know, don't worry, we're, we're still going to be putting stuff out there. But we're going to sort of jump back into the archives um, uh, first. And uh, so Julian and I, have sort of, as, as Julian said, has, has been on 20th Century Geek, uh, the sister podcast, uh, on a number of occasions. And we sort of did some, some really good reviews that sort of fit into the sort of scope of uh, stories out of time and space. So... Um, I'm just wondering what they were now. We, we've got uh, our discussion on Flash Gordon, 1980, uh, Plan uh, Planet of the Apes from 1968, and then the Terry Gilliam Imagination Trilogy, which is uh, Time Bandits, Brazil, and the Adventures of Baron Munchausen. So we're going to be giving those out as sort of archival bonus material for the next couple of weeks, um, leading up to, well another in-depth thing. I don't know if you want to explain <laughs> our, our big, our big project before we get back to season two, what okay. are we doing, Julian? Well, well, first of all, I just want to say that, you know, these, these rerun episodes, um, yeah, it, it gives us more content, but, but I also found that because I'm enjoying these conversations so much with you, we have these reference points because we have had these conversations and done these podcasts. And I want to let uh, listeners get those reference points uh, so that, you know, like every time we've talked about Flash Gordon over season one, that's kind of been a touchstone. It's like, yeah, there's this conversation, but, you know, listeners who just have followed this podcast haven't heard it. Um, 
so, uh, but beyond that, uh, after that series of, of sort of reruns, we're going to move into Red Dwarf. And mm. both of us are in love with this show. <laughs> a a yes. little obsessed with this show. <laughs> uh, and, um, you know, so we're going to be doing multiple episodes and watching all 12 series of Red Dwarf. Mm. Um, so quite a big order, uh, a tall order, and a tall order for discussion. But I know that it's going to blow my mind because I know you know your dwarf. And <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and, and it's, it's a series that has influenced me and, and made a big difference in terms of how I saw science fiction uh, and what science fiction could do. And I am astounded that it's not more well-known or hasn't uh, taken off over here more than it has. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, well, it's sort of, even in this country, it's, it's become sort of a niche thing. It, it, it should be celebrated more, I think. But um, yes, I can't wait to get into that. That's going to be an absolute, it's going to be a mammoth task, but it, it's one I take on with relish. I'm really <laughs> looking forward to it. Um so yeah, so we've got some fantastic and amazing things coming up for you in the next sort of couple of months. Um, so, and, and then we move have... on to season two, which we've well, already yeah, announced the titles of. Uh, we've announced it, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and we'll get back to we'll, we'll re-announce those again as we get closer. So really, twenty twenty is looking strong. We've got some fantastic content coming. We've got some really good stuff. I'm really excited for it. I can't wait. I'm really, really looking forward to some of the conversations we've got coming up. Um, but well, I should say, go ahead. If listen, if listeners have been enjoying this content and enjoying our conversations, um, let us know. And I don't don't just mean you know find us on Twitter, obviously it's at Pod Time Space. But what I really want people to do is is go out, find your go onto your podcast uh, catching platform, whatever it is, and leave a review. Leave a review. You know, not it doesn't have to be a five star review. Just any review. Just leave us your review. What do you think of what we're doing? Are you enjoying it? It just helps us get out there, get us up, get us up the rankings, lets more people see what we're doing. Oh, man. And that's really important. So, yeah, please just go and give us a review. We'd really appreciate it. And, and I hope that I hope that listeners know that I, it, it should be apparent that this is a real labor of love. You know, that we love these movies, we love science fiction, and we love talking about it with each other. And, you know, I mean. <laughs> You know, stories out of time and space is, is not going to make us millionaires. Um, <laughs> and, and what would mean the most to us, I think, would be having that audience that uh, appreciates it. And so anything that uh, you as listeners can do to, you know, give those reviews and, and get the word out there and increase uh, the audience is, uh, you know, that's the that's what we want uh, for this. And, and that would be mean the world to us indeed yeah and we do appreciate everybody that listens and engages with us really appreciate it so i don't we've been chatting for quite some time yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i'm just joking screw them screw, screw them all <laughs> have you um, seen those idiots but, oh my god yeah oh. i'm oh, now going to edit all this out <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, Julian, thanks very much. It's, uh, we've been chatting for some time on this one. Um, at one point, we thought this would be a, a season review. It's going to be a, a, a nice short one. Um, yeah. But it, it's been a great conversation as usual. Thank you very much. And, uh, and ladies and gentlemen, we will catch you again 
soon. streams.